This is a sermon that was preached at Sure Foundation Lutheran Church on June 28, 2020, on the basis of Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 to 8. Have you ever seen the TV show called Pawn Stars? Pawn Stars is a show that was on the History Channel starting in 2009, and it may still even be going on today. This TV show takes place at a pawn shop in Las Vegas, and the show depicts in a rather dramatic fashion how a pawn shop works. Here's what a typical episode looks like. A person brings in something that they think is valuable. A lot of times this is something that has some supposed historical heritage or is used by someone important. The person that brings this item in, he gives a brief description of the item, and then he gives his or her asking price. All while he's doing this, the pawn shop owner is listening to the description, and he is observing it himself. And then he does one of two things. He either negotiates the price, or he gets an expert in to assess the value of this item. Sometimes the expert deems that the item is a fake or a replica, in which case it isn't worth anything. And sometimes the expert deems that the item is authentic and therefore valuable. All this means is that the expert plays a crucial role. The expert gets to decide what is valuable and what isn't. The role of the expert got me thinking. Who gets to determine the value of something? Now, a discussion of value makes for a good TV show and a lively discussion when we're talking about things and items. But what about when it comes to people and what about when it comes to God? So here's the big question that we're going to talk about today. What is the value that God puts on people? Well, in order to look at that, we're going to go back to a section of Scripture in the second book of the Bible, Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 19. But before that, I, I need to set the scene for you, and we're going to rewind even further back to the time of Joseph, back in the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, one of Jacob's 12 sons, but he was one of Jacob's most beloved sons. You, re you might remember that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, and so they sold him into slavery. And in a story that only God could write, Joseph went from being a slave to a prisoner to the second in charge of all of Egypt. Well, Joseph ends up reuniting with his family, and they all lived in Egypt in peace. Well, well time went by, and Joseph died, and Joseph's descendants grew and multiplied quickly. They were filling the land of Egypt. Meanwhile, the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh, who at the time was friendly with Joseph, he dies, and a new Pharaoh took over, who had no love for Joseph or the Israelites. And soon the Israelites were enslaved and forced to work for the Egyptians. Now we're in the beginning of Exodus. From the Israelite people, Moses was born, perhaps having the most eventful life ever. <laughs> Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. Moses killed an Egyptian. He fled to Midian. He got married to a Midianite. God appeared to Moses in Midian in a burning bush. Moses came back to Egypt, confronted Pharaoh. God sends ten plagues. Pharaoh lets the Israelites go to change, only to change his mind and chase them. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea, which God split in two, and they entered safely into the desert. Meanwhile, Pharaoh and his army died when the waters came back together. 
Whew. Okay, that's a lot of background. How'd you do? Are you still with me? Because now, I want you to focus in and use your imaginations a little bit. You are an Israelite that was with Moses in the desert just after crossing the Red Sea. You've only known for your entire life a life of slavery and hard labor. And it's not just hard labor as in a hard day's work. This is the kind of hard labor that hurts your bones even to this day. Your people have been enslaved for over 400 years, which means your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents were all slaves in Egypt as well. And, and now, you are further away from the promised land than you were when you were in Egypt, and you were lost in the desert. <laughs> if you personally are assessing your worth after all of this, what do you feel that your worth would be? Well, I, I suppose the better question is, who gets to determine your worth? If it's Pharaoh, well then, your worth is nothing more than an abused slave. If other people, the, your community, the Israelites around you get to determine your worth, you are a slave to your own reputation and what people think about you. If you get to determine your worth, maybe your opinion of yourself is the same as everyone else's opinion, or... Maybe you have an inflated, unrealistic view of yourself. But, but in this particular scenario, it would be hard to believe that the self-worth of the Israelites was booming. <laughs> but listen to Exodus 19. Because God has words to give to the Israelites. He's not specifically concerned that they have a high self-esteem, but what he is concerned about is letting them know that he is with them, that he loves them, and that he wants to care for them. So Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 2, says this. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. People all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. This is God's word. The first thing that God wanted Moses to relate to the Israelites was a command. Well, sort of a command. Kind of a passive command. His command to the Israelites was to remember. Remember what I did for you when I brought you out of Egypt, when I saved you from destruction. Now, it seems like it would be a pretty difficult thing to forget. After all, God sent ten plagues on Egypt that were unbelievably memorable. And then there was that whole thing about splitting the Red Sea in two. How in the world could anyone forget that? As impossible as it seems, the Israelites did forget. Even if you know just a little bit of the history of the Israelites, you know that they would forget. 
that it wouldn't take too long and they would be worshiping a golden calf, that they would be grumbling and complaining in the desert and God would send poisonous snakes on them as a punishment. They would go on to push God aside for earthly ease, to push God aside for the acceptance of the nations around them, to push God aside for idols, and ultimately to push God aside for themselves, which is really the heart of the issue. It's not simple forgetfulness. But they loved themselves so much that there was no room for God. You might think that their self-worth was low after exiting Egypt. But actually, the opposite was true. They thought too highly of themselves and they thought too much about themselves. They were absorbed with their lives and what they were going through. And they completely forgot about God and His deliverance. And that might lead us to ask, how could they do that after everything God had done for them? As I was thinking about this, I thought, what if the Israelites had a record of our lives? You know, we have a record, a written record of what the Israelites went through, and we can look back on that record and think, how could they forget God saving them from the Egyptians? The Israelites would look at the transcript of our lives, however, and they could say the same thing. How could they forget about Jesus saving them from their sins? How could they forget about what Jesus did for them by dying on the cross and rising from the dead? How could they push Jesus aside and prioritize other things over Jesus, his word, and his mission? How could they push God aside for earthly ease, for the acceptance of their peers, for the idols that they have set up in their lives? How could they push God aside for themselves? And it's not simple forgetfulness, but my love of myself and my self-absorption leads to my forgetfulness. I don't have room for God, and this forgetfulness is a sin, straight-up rebellion against God. That's exactly what sin is. It's deprioritizing God and prioritizing myself. Sin is saying that I am more valuable than God in His Word. You see, our issue is not that we have a battered ego or a low self-esteem. No, our real issue is that we are obsessed with ourselves. But God's answer for self-absorption and sin is a command, but not really a command, more of a, a passive command. God wants us to focus on what has already been completed for us. He wants us to remember. Remember what Jesus did for you. You see, God went to great lengths to save the Israelites from the Egyptians. But he went to even greater lengths to save you from sin. That's how much he loves you. He, he sent his only son to take on flesh. God became flesh. He conquered the devil. He conquered death. And he gives life. A God who will go to those lengths for you is a God worth remembering and a God you'll never want to forget. So here's truth number one. You are God's treasured possession. Your worth is not found in what you think about yourself. Your worth is not found in what leaders think about you or what others think about you. Your worth is found in what God thinks about you. And God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. A bunch of years ago now, back in the early 2000s, a psychologist named Lauren Slater wrote an article in the New York Times called 
the trouble with self-esteem. It was an interesting article because for many years, Americans have attributed the problems of our country to low self-esteem. The thought is, is that people who commit crimes do so because they have a low opinion of themselves. If they only had higher self-esteem, they would not commit these crimes. And this way of thinking went rather unchallenged for many years. But Miss Slater made the opposite point. The problems that we have in our lives are often the product, aren't often the product of low self-esteem, but of high self-esteem. We think about ourselves too much. We are too concerned with ourselves. We are too wrapped up in our stuff. We need our way. Now, I don't know Miss Slater's background, but her conclusions are biblical. Because a little later in Exodus, God would go on to give the Israelites his laws. He would give them the Ten Commandments that we know today. And then a little bit later in the, in the Bible, back in the New Testament era, when Jesus walked the earth, do you remember how Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments? He, he said all the laws could be summed up in two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's number one. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to listen to those commands closely again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What God doesn't say is he doesn't say he wants you to hate yourself or loathe yourself. But he doesn't make loving yourself a priority. What he makes a priority is loving God and loving others. And he perhaps takes for granted that you're probably going to love yourself. He says love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> the priority is to love God and to love others. And you have the power to do that. Because you can remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's the power. Jesus went to the cross not thinking about himself, but thinking about you. And the gospel, Jesus on the cross, Jesus rising from the dead, that's where your power comes from. And we can even add more to that thought. God says to the Israelites, what is also true for you, you are a holy nation. Now, what did this mean for the Israelites? It meant that they were special. It meant that they were set apart. It meant that they were different than the people around them because of the hope they had in God, the one true God, in the promised Messiah. They were to live differently than the nations around them. And God would give them laws to help them do that, that would set them apart from other nations. Israel looked different, or was supposed to look different at least, than the nations around them. For you, you live differently than the people around you too because of Jesus, you are holy. Through baptism, you have been washed clean and made holy, given the Holy Spirit, which means that you live differently than those who do not have that hope, that hope of heaven. God also says to the Israelites that they are a kingdom of priests. Do you remember what the role of the priest was? The priest was the go-between. The priest went between God and mankind. The priest offered sacrifices and offerings to the Lord on behalf of the people. He was the connector between God and man. So the question now is, how were the Israelites to be a kingdom of priests? They were to be the go-betweens. They were to be the connectors. They were to connect the people of the world to the one true God. 
They did that first and foremost by connecting with God themselves and remaining spiritually strong. But they also connected to the world by God, by showing that God is the one true God. God set them apart as holy, and they showed other nations that they were different than them, and they reached out to them in that way. There are many examples from the Old Testament of people who came to believe that God was the one true God, even though they were from a different nationality. You might think of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, and she ends up saying to Naomi, Never encourage me to leave you. I will go with you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. The Israelites were to connect people to God. That's what we're here to do at Sure Foundation. You are here to be a kingdom of priests as well because you are a connector. First and foremost, we connect with God through his word and sacraments. We go to God for our worth, not ourselves or anybody else. And then we connect others to God and his word. We can accomplish this in many different ways in Brandon. We might be able to talk directly and share the word with somebody directly. We might be able to directly invite someone to church, but I know for sure you'll be able to do one of these two things. You will be able to to live your life as someone who is holy and set apart, different from the people around you, not in a pretentious, arrogant way as if you're looking down your nose at someone, but in a way that gives witness to the hope that you have in Christ. And the second thing that you will all be able to do is to pray. To pray for those people by name that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior, or who have fallen away from church and the truth, or are really struggling right now. To pray that God would would open the floodgates and bring people to hear the truth at Sure Foundation, And that people's eyes might be open to Jesus as their Savior. So here's truth number two for this morning. You are God's treasured possession. Not to remain hidden in a vault, but to be unleashed to the world. So that others might be labeled holy through Jesus' blood. When Jesus came down from the mountain, he told the people what God had said. Now we don't know what Moses was expecting to hear, but we know what he did hear. The people responded to God's words by saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. That is a response that only the gospel could bring. Only by remembering their deliverance from Egypt could the Israelites respond in this way. Brothers and sisters, may that always be our response as we remember, remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and how he rose from the dead and that we might respond in the same way to the gospel. And say, we will do everything the Lord has said. Amen.